0: For now we're going to grab our bibles with enthusiasm with expectancy with readiness this is the lord's word and as he promises his word never returns void but it goes forth with great power as it is proclaimed and so that's my prayer if you want to turn I'll give you the address and we'll pray Romans 16 and we're finishing off this epic journey through perhaps the most epic of all letters we find in the New Testament. Before we read the portion of Scripture, why don't we pray together? Amen? All right. Good to see you're ready and alive. Father, thank you for this moment, this moment in human history, this moment this morning. I thank you for your purposes and plans for us. Although there's many things, Lord, that we could get caught up into, our desire is always to have eyes to see what it is you're doing, to have ears to hear your voice. So I pray that you'd speak to us this morning, Lord, as your people speak to us personally. We give you permission, Holy Spirit, to do whatever you desire for the glory of the name of King Jesus. Lord, as uh, Habakkuk prayed, we, we long for, we look to that day where the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea and whatever way you desire to move amongst us this morning. Have your way, we pray. In us, through us, do whatever you need to do, we pray. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful, and incredible name, we pray. Amen. Well, it's probably a moment for amen, because we are concluding this series this morning. Adam preached a, a message last week, talking about walking... With a limp. If you weren't here last Sunday, definitely encourage you to look that one up. It wasn't related to the book of Romans. It was, in fact, him sharing about a recent trip that we had to the US and something specifically the Lord had done in him as he hobbled through the streets of New York. And of course, those who would, would remember, I had a similar journey and injury as I hobbled through the streets of Europe earlier in the year. So I don't know what the Lord is doing there, but there's something in that space. I think it was a great message about that desire for us to be a people who are dependent upon Him. And even as we, we read this, this final portion of Scripture, written by the Apostle Paul, one of my favorite portions of Scripture is this encounter he has with the Lord, and he's talking about his, his weaknesses. He had his own limp, his thought in the flesh. He prayed, Lord, would you remove it and take it away? And three times the Lord speaks and says, my grace is Sufficient, and so he goes on and he says, So actually, I'm going to boast even more than in my strengths. I mean, we've read this incredible letter, this incredible proclamation of the gospel. What an incredible person! How powerfully God used this man! Incredible impact for the gospel. And yet, he says, I will boast even more not not in my strengths, not in necessarily the incredible things that God's done in me and through me. I will boast in my weaknesses because it's in those moments that he is revealed and that's the passion that's the urgency that's the joy of my heart to make much of him and his name so let's read this this final conclusion you might think as we set this up how on earth is he going to finish we've we've had three or four amen moments haven't we we sort of peered over the horizon thinking this this could be it and if seems to have this sense of just, just one more thing, just one more thing I, I need to add as I conclude this particular letter. How, how do we conclude this journey? How do we bring together the, the journey, the, the depths he's, he's talked about of human depravity, of sin, of this, this ultimate need that we have for God and for redemption? How, how do we bring together this proclamation of God's redemptive purposes through Christ, all that he's accomplished for us through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And then, of course, the last few chapters have been the, the practicalities of how is this outworked in a, a community, in a group of people? What, what does the gospel actually look like? And we've learnt, I pray and I hope, many things. But what is it that Paul wants to leave us with? And This is his final doxology, his final proclamation, his final urgent call for his readers, the Romans, and for us today. Would you read it with me? Verse 25 says this, Now to him, some translations say, Now unto him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Can we say together, amen, amen and amen. It's a a fascinating way for the Apostle Paul to finish. It's it's one phrase, it's one proclamation in the Greek, and scholars have a a little bit of an interesting time trying to put together the, um, the linguistical composition of this phrase that Paul is making. But what is clear as we look at this, is this is an exhortation, but it's a call to attention. He's saying, now unto him. He's calling the people to awaken, to stand at attention, to fix their gaze upon something, or we could say more correctly, on someone. And we're going to unpack this, but really, for me, the final exhortation for us as Paul writes this conclusion is the first three words. Now to, or some translations say unto him. Now unto. Unto him, and I love that. This is where our gaze is to be held. This is the call to attention. He lands not with a principle, not with a philosophy, not with the practicalities. He's covered all of those, and they're good in and of themselves. We have enjoyed and rejoiced in the the intricacies, the technicalities of all of these wonders of riches, as he describes, that we find in Christ Jesus. But he calls us as we finish. Not to a principle, not to a philosophy, not to a practicality, but with a person. He calls our attention, he calls our affections back to Jesus. not an impersonal truth. See, I would suggest this to us is certainly my hope as we've gone through the book of Romans... And I have no doubt that this was Paul's intention, that we would come away not just with better theology, but our theology has to point us to not just something, but someone. Not just more practical skills for how we do church, how we love one another, how we maintain unity. They're important, but that we would come away with a clearer picture and a greater reality of Jesus, of who He is, and of what He's done for us. So, we've been talking this year a bit about trips. And uh, praise the Lord, borders are open and people can travel a little bit again to various places. But I think sometimes we have, uh, I, I wrote in my notes, a travel brochure version of Jesus. It's probably outdated already, isn't it? Nobody reads brochures anymore. So, maybe a travel Instagram version of Jesus. And have you ever noticed when you travel that the reality of the place you're visiting, perhaps the accommodation you're staying in, is, is sometimes not quite the same as the pictures that you saw presented to yourself? Adam, for example, was sharing last week about our time in New York, and it, w- it was a great time. What he didn't mention was the accommodation, I don't think. Did you talk about the accommodation? He can't remember, okay. That's not a good sign if the preacher can't remember his own sermon. I'm sure he remembers all the important bits. But we, we stayed in this accommodation in New York, and you know, bear in mind, often in America, things are a lot bigger. So the accommodation in Texas, for example, we were in the, uh, this, this floor of a, a warehouse. It felt like we had a whole floor to ourselves. It was easier to call Adam than try and walk to the other end of the building just to find out where he was. It was enormous. And then we were in this accommodation in New York, and, and I feel like it's probably not an exaggeration to say the entire room was the size of one of the beds in the Texas accommodation. It was this tiny little shoe box of an apartment, two single beds, right snuggled into next. I mean, you, you had to sort of do origami just to get your suitcase out and get dressed in the morning. Had, had to watch the way that I rolled over so I didn't give him a black eye. And both of us walked into this this particular hotel room, and I don't know if we said it or thought it, I can't remember, but I, I certainly know both of us were like, you know, it looked a lot bigger in the pictures. <laughs> you ever have that thought when you travel? Look, it just, I don't think this is quite what I was envisioning and seeing when I was looking at that glossy photo Instagram version. And so Paul is concluding Romans, and this is his urgent call to attention in the midst of everything else. The delight and the desire, the passion of his heart that's come through is that somehow and in some way we would come away with a clearer picture of who he is. This is Jesus. Grab a hold of who he is, the wonder and reality of what he's done for us. And there's a few things specifically. Obviously, there could be many that he would encourage us in. But let's look through together and then come back to that theme this morning and bring this book to a close. So he says, now unto him, here's the first phrase, who is able to strengthen you. He is able to strengthen you. One of the, uh, the intentional decisions is probably the wrong word. One of the, the, the intentional focuses that I've tried to bring before us as we've gone through this book, because it is an incredible book of theology, it is. There's probably more amazing, intricate, rewarding theology that's been written and read about this particular book than any other. It's an incredible book of theology. But it's not just theology. It's a book of the proclamation of the power of God. And that's how Paul begins. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, not just because it's right and it's true and it makes sense. He says, because it's the power of God... Unto salvation. This is the power of God. A God who saves. This is the power of God who took this message, not just through Paul, through the early church, and literally turned the world upside down. This is the power of God that we see today, 2023, in our own secular, anti-God, anti-anything-good city. The power of a God who still saves. And He still rescues. And He still redeems. And He still restores would have been a great moment for an amen but we'll move on and so as we've gone through here to to try and bring that point home I've continued to try not every week but probably more weeks than not to share some stories just of how the gospel has transformed and changed society situations and circumstances and and remember this is not just theoretical; it's not a nice idea for Paul he's saying well you know the gospel is the power of God. He, he is a man who's experienced the radical encounter of God. As God literally knocked him off his horse, turned his life the right way up, and sent him forth as an apostle, as he saw revival, as great miracles were breaking out in many of the places that he preached, as he encountered the glory of God in the midst of the Philippian jail cell, the deep, dark, damp circumstances and situations we find ourselves in in the midnight hour. Both extremes in both places. He's speaking from experience. There is a God of power who's at work when I see it and when I don't. And this, this past week, my wife and I, we um, headed down to Melbourne. We just had felt a stirring in our hearts to be a part of a conference down there, um, which really was intended and designed to launch 24-7 prayer in Australia. Has anyone heard of, just out of interest, Pete Gregg and 24-7 Prayer? Show of hands, probably not very many, maybe like 10%, although there's probably a few who are not willing to put their hands up for anything, it's alright? Hand up if you never put your hand up for anything. <laughs> but, okay, just checking, alright. Pete Gregg, 24-7 Prayer, so he's, he's a guy, he's an English guy, and... There was this great kind of stirring of prayer back really in the 90s, similar time when IHOP, who's heard of Mike Bickle, International House of Prayer, Kansas City, a few more maybe heard of that movement. Very kind of similar thing. So Pete Gregg was a, a pastor at the time in a church, and uh, by his own confession he said, I had this this uh, revelation as a pastor of a church that we have no idea how to pray. Like we believe that prayer is a good thing, but there's no prayer happening and we just really feel like God's stirring us to pray. It was as, as kind of simple an unction or a leading as that. And so they, as a church, it wasn't a massive church, they said, we're going to set aside a week to do 24-7 prayer for a week. They're like, we can probably scrape... I mean, a week feels like a, a big deal. We're, we're not a massive church, but we can probably manage a week of prayer. So they began this week... And he said even the, the first three days of the week, he said, were atrocious. He said, I was dragging my feet every day. I did not want to be there. I just, uh, what, what, whose idea was this? You know, like, who could I blame it on? It wasn't my idea. It was definitely someone else. Um, and then half of the week, the, the Holy Spirit just blew on it. So it turned from a week into a year into now they've been going since, I think it was 99, so 24 years of 24-7 non-stop prayer god just grabbed a hold of it and and spurred something in this area of prayer and so from that little church in the uk it's then spread and they've got prayer houses and this prayer 24 7 prayer movement in many different parts of the world in fact he was sharing he just recently um i think it was early this year or end of last year he'd gone to indonesia which, uh, of course, is not only a big country, but it's got the highest percentage and proportion of Muslims of any country in the world. And so he was invited there to be a part of a a national conference of a a group of churches. He said there was a stadium of Jakarta which sat 80,000. It was packed full. And because they knew they couldn't fit everyone in there, they satellite broadcast it to a bunch of other churches. And I'll get the number right. Um, They estimated that with that particular conference there was over 3 million people that tuned in to this conference that he was a part of. And he's like, you would not believe it. God is doing stuff. Like we, don't, we don't see that in the headlines. That's not publicly reported in Indonesia, let alone around the world. But he said, I can tell you the gospel is spreading like wildfire in many of these different places in the world. And I've shared stories as this year has gone on about different things that the Lord's done through history... And not, not only biblical times, but in, in our day and our time, that, that he is alive and well, that he is accomplishing his purposes or plans, when we see it, when the news reports reflect and display it, and when they don't. But I think that the thing that encouraged me most about that particular conference, he wasn't the only speaker, it was John Tyson, whose church we, um, Adam and I actually visited in New York. Um, there was others as well involved in this conference. Uh, including Mark Sayers, who is the pastor in Melbourne, Red Church is his church, that um, has become the the hub to try and launch this 24-7 prayer movement in Australia. But all of them, Pete Gregg, Mark Sayers, and in fact, he did a whole message that they haven't released them yet, but it would be well worth um, looking it up, trying to um, see if you could get a copy, because he talks about revival history in Australia, And it's not something that is particularly well known or documented. I know that I've I've mentioned the book by our friend. His name's going to come to me. Warwick Marsh, that's right. Um, He's done a good job of trying to document some of these moves of the Holy Spirit. All that to say, he he said, this is not me, this is is all of them in the conference, this is different leaders, some from Australia and uh, many from different parts of the world, all saying this one theme and they said, we, we really sense like there is a, a strategic time and there's something building that is very unique and special in the Lord's purposes for this particular country and this, this particular time, for Australia, in Australia. Does that make sense? did can come out right. You get the gist. That the Lord is doing something now that's, that's special and significant. In fact, uh, Pete Gregg, he, uh, he's funny, he's an English guy, but he, he talks about his expression he often uses, is we don't make the waves but we ride the waves. It's kind of funny having an English guy who, by his own admission, doesn't surf at all using that kind of ter- terminology. But he said, that's, that's how I've followed the leading of the Spirit. I, I, I don't make the waves, but my mission and my desire is to move with, with whatever he's doing. <clears throat> In fact, I was reflecting upon it this past week. I popped down to the coast and there was a... Um, who got the crazy weather on Monday? We got snow out our way. In, in Royal or up in the hills. Crazy weather, but it's this big fat low pressure system. So I headed down the coast, I thought I'd go for a surf, and it was sizable, don't want to exaggerate, but you know, probably 70, 10,0 000 feet. Joke. It was it was bigger than I'd been out there for a while, and of course, jumped into the middle of uh, a big set, and let's just say was very sufficiently humbled in that moment, recognizing that I'm not as young and as fit as I once was. And in the midst of that moment, I I just felt the Lord um, place on my heart, There, there is that sense that we've been in a necessary season of humbling in the church, a necessary season for him to remind us that maybe we're not quite as clever, maybe our strategies and plans aren't quite as good and foolproof, that maybe what we need to be looking for is actually not anything in us at all but it's to his purposes and plans, and to be ready for when his wave does come. And so actually, it's a message for another day, but I, I do want to encourage us. There's a few things in that space about how, how we can be ready, not trying to generate waves, but ready when the waves of, if you like, his presence or his purposes and plans do unfold, I pray, sooner rather than later. So all that to say, there is, there's this reminder here from Paul as he finishes this book. He says, now look to him, the one who is able. That's, that's the heart of the gospel, isn't it? It's not our power. It's his power to save. It's his power to rescue and redeem and not just to stay to save, but to strengthen, to strengthen the people. God would not call them, call us to anything that he could not establish us in. In fact, we see this through Paul's writing regularly. Acts 14 is an example. He says he preached the good news in that city and went around strengthening or establishing the disciples. Acts 15, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening and established disciples. Establishing the churches. Acts 18, again, he says he spent time in Antioch and uh, various other cities, strengthening and establishing all the disciples. Didn't want just the people who knew, had an intellectual knowledge of what was going on, but people who were strengthened in the power of the gospel. There's a whole sermon series there, isn't there, about being strengthened in the Lord. So that's his first thing, now to him who's able to leave you strong, strengthened, as he says to the Ephesians, standing firm in the power of his might, that's number one. Number two, he says, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret for ages, but it's now been disclosed and through prophetic writings has been made to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. As I said, it's kind of this long technical proclamation and prose and what is it that Paul is trying to say there? First of all, it was recognizing that he's a God of power who can strengthen you. The second thing is it's a recognition of his truth. The one who's able to strengthen you according to the gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ that was kept secret has now been disclosed. In fact, this ties back into chapter 1 of the book of Romans where he talks about this gospel that he came to proclaim that was prophesied beforehand through the prophets, through the holy scriptures. But now there is this full unveiling. That's his point. He's saying that there is truth that has been made known. God himself has stepped in to human history to make a way. We have beheld the glory of God in the face of the only begotten Son, the exact image of God in human flesh as he came and he bled and he died for us. There's, there's, there's no more mystery. It's, it's clear as day. And in the same way that the light switch it brings illumination, the light has been switched on. So we live in a world, don't we, where we want to push everything, particularly in faith and our relationship with God, into this little subjective truth area. If you believe it, that's kind of fine for you. That's okay. Just, if that works for you, then continue down that path. Paul has made clear, if there's one thing about the book of Romans, if you truly read it and reflect on what Paul says, it's not some nice little subjective version of the truth. It's not something that neatly fits in your back pocket. Okay, the wrath of God revealed against all sin. You know, all stand guilty in the sight of, of God. There's nothing in this, if we truly read it, that does not confront the essence of who we are and of our incredible need for Him and of the incredible reality of God's work through Christ Jesus. Not some little subjective truth, but the objective truth, the unfailing, undeniable reality of who Christ is. He says, this truth, the proclamation of Jesus Christ, has been made known. It's been made known to the world. It has. We can deny it. We can try and play it down. But he's saying, never again can there be any sense. What more could God Ever do in revealing himself than coming himself in human form and proclaiming that he is the way and the truth and the life. That's the first part. It says this this has been known, this has been unveiled. For what purpose? The end of the phrase of 26 there it says to, to bring about the obedience of faith, revealed to all, made known been proclaimed to bring about what obedience and faith why is it that Paul has proclaimed this message why is it that we too join in the proclamation of the glory of God is it to build empires is that what Paul was interested in building his ministry having effective resources to equip the nations was it for buildings no, it was for this one reason alone. He says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That people would believe, that they would put their faith in Jesus. See, Preaching is not, it's not coaching, it's not entertainment, it's not even just encouragement. It can have elements of all of those. But preaching ultimately is the proclamation of the gospel. That Jesus saves, that God so loved the world that all who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the truth of the gospel that we build our lives upon. That's the first two. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you, this God, stand in the power of his might. The second is He would would have us come away with a recognition of His truth, His unfailing truth, unveiled. We stand in the brilliance of the light of the world whose light has shone upon us, revealing our true condition and His true eternal plan for us. And number number three, we come away with a revelation of His worth how so he finishes in verse 27. He says, Now unto him, the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. It's a proclamation of praise. A God who is worthy. Some scholars, in fact, believe maybe this whole thing was Paul as he, remembering he was dictating this letter. Maybe this was his exuberant shout of praise. Was he singing? A, we don't know. Maybe a song. It's certainly an emphatic declaration, this exuberant welling up. Remember that we began this series. And if you like the the title, other than just studying through the book of Romans, was this. All roads lead to wonder. And as we conclude the book, that would be my heart. There is great theology. There is. It's wonderful. It's truth. We should know it. We should allow it to change us. Direct us, recalibrate our hearts. But for me, the, the ultimate test of whether you've got what Paul is proclaiming and describing here. It's not whether you can come away defining the intricacies of atonement theory. It's not just with a robust, systematic theology. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not what I'm saying. But it's for us to come away with this kind of wonder that grips our heart that causes our souls to sing, that leaves no other option, as he says, but to join in that song of worship with the angels crying, Holy, he's holy, he's worthy. And then as we worship to lay everything on our lives afresh, every, every revelation of who he is, here it is, Lord, here's my life. On the altar is a living sacrifice to make much of you. All roads lead to wonder. This God who's able to strengthen this reality of His truth and this revelation of His worth that then redirects and recalibrates all that we are. And I just saw uh, Brendan leave the room. I was going to get him to come up, but... He's going to get some music. All right. When Brendan's back, we're going to welcome him and thank him for his wonderful worship in advance as he sneaks back in quietly, hoping no one will notice him in the back. <laughs> so it's my prayer as, as, as we finish this book, as we've journeyed through the series, um, for those who are interested, all of the, the different sermons are available. But, but it really is as we began, that we would come away with this eternal perspective, that we would come away afresh with this unquenchable passion, It's not just theology for Paul, it's this passion of a God who loves him and in response he gives everything in his love and his pursuit of life. Here's Brendan, can we welcome Brendan just for his, thank you Brendan. Love your work brother, he's picked out a song for us to sing so would you like to come and sing your song just to bring it home, that'd be great, thanks. It is the single most useful, most needed, most helpful thing to keep us on track is for us always to ensure and to maintain that reality of keeping our eyes upon Jesus. That's what Hebrews says. The author there, he says, Therefore, let us what? Let's fix our eyes. Let's fix our eyes. Let's, let's set them. Let's, let's call to attention, not a momentary glimpse it's not enough but that intentional decision that is where we are going now, I was I was encouraged um, earlier in the year when um my wife my family and I took some time off we had some different preachers come through and they were all very positive about their time here which I guess they're all my friends so that's probably a good thing be worried if they came and they were very negative about the church although they would be open to any feedback but they, they were, honestly, they were quite touched after having um, been here amongst you, amongst this church, um, and having brought the word. And one in particular, he said, you know, it just was the most wonderful worship time. And just that sense of the Lord's presence. And he said, the thing that I loved most about it was just the focus on Jesus. He said, I went straight back to my church. and I'm like, guys, we have got to be singing about Jesus more. We've got to be talking about, like, what, what else is there if he is not, the focus. And amongst amongst this humbling that I'm talking about, amongst this preparation, amongst this period that we're in, more than anything else, it's a God who is bringing us back to the one thing. It's bringing us back to him. Let me maybe finish with this. I've got a few more there, but one more. Uh, one question that I've been asked a lot, and I'm sure all of our hearts have been you know, just, just moved and weighed down and burdened, which is a good thing about many of the events happening around the world. Burdened to pray, burdened to seek the Lord and seek His heart. And look, we've had things in our own nation, we've had things internationally. And the, the question that's come through is, you know, well, what's the Lord doing in the midst of this? You know, is this... Isaiah 17, is it Ezekiel 38-39, is it writers of the apocalypse, is it the end times, is it, what, what are we looking for? And they're good questions, they are, they're good questions to ask, we, Scripture speaks about many of those things, we should have a knowledge, but Jesus in Matthew twenty, uh, Matthew twenty four, but Luke twenty one as well. When he he talks about, it. he's like, "You're going to see some stuff. There's going to be some. Th- there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be things unfolding around you." And Luke twenty one, twenty eight, out. I love this. He says, "But when you see these things begin to pass, what should we do? Fear, panic? Doesn't say that. Says, what, what, what should we do? You know, should should we get out the charts and try and figure out the six 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 and.'" How it's all working out, that, that's fine and that's good and that's not bad. But more than anything else, he says this when you see these things begin to take place, what do we do? Lift up your eyes. Lift up. All of that should be an urgent invitation that what we need is we began the service with Psalm 24. Lift up your eyes, he's the focus. That the king of glory make him. That's the sort of people that he's looking for. A people whose gaze is fixed on him. The other stuff, I'm not saying ignore it all, but it's just the backdrop to that. If you want to run well, you need to keep your eyes upon him. So I want to encourage us this morning. Where are your eyes at? Could we just pray or just close your eyes? let look to Him. If you're truly honest, where is the attention and the affections of your heart? Our attention always drives our affection. What is it that consumes your gaze? Because I believe the Lord this morning is wanting us to be a people who will come again to fix our eyes upon Him. If you're here this morning and you're in that place and you're in need of encouragement your heart is heavy and weighed down the stuff happening even this week as you walk with people through the the loss of deeply deeply loved people where do we look where do we turn I'll tell you there's only one place that's to fix your eyes again on jesus if you're in need of victory there's things that you're battling with, if all you can see around you is the the battle zone, where, where do we look? His encouragement is lift up your eyes and look to Jesus. If you're here this morning in need of endurance, you're ready to give up. It's what Hebrews goes on to talk about. He says, "Let us run the race with endurance. This is a season that calls for endurance. It's a season of pressing through, of not giving up. How do we do? Do we just try and str- do we try and push? Here's the key: If you want to run with endurance and perseverance, you fix your eyes upon Him. Fix your eyes on Him." It doesn't matter, the wind and the waves. Just walk on the water if your eyes are on him. As the psalmist says, I there's I, I, times I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. So as we, as we conclude this morning, as we bring this book to a conclusion, that's the invitation this morning. Would you, church, lift your eyes? We've got to bring the people of God back to Jesus. We need his presence. We need his power at work amongst his people. We're never going to get there with spreadsheets, programs, and human effort. We're going to get there as we learn to lift our eyes and look to him. So Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. Would we heed the the urgent call not only of the Apostle Paul of the Book of Romans, but the call of the King of Glory to his people to lift up your heads oh you gates to fix your eyes upon the author the, the finisher the perfecter the beginning the end to fix our gaze upon you help us even now Lord I pray for distractions I pray for anything that's not of you to be removed. Give us a single gaze of unyielding, unwavering affection that we might follow after you, King Jesus, for the glory of your name.